You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know, that's how you start off a victory polo Monday by listening to the Hidden Yardage podcast on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. I'm Mark Lane, and joined by Sean Martin. You can follow me on X at the Real Mark Lane. You can follow Sean on Twitter at Sean Martin NFL. Forty to nothing, Sean. Forty to nothing. Hey, what a difference a year makes. I mean, I remember sitting down to do our week one post-primetime Cowboys post-game show last year, and it was trying to find any glimmer of hope from a game where you, of course, lost to Prescott, lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and there wasn't much you know, good going around last year. And what a difference a year makes, like I said, and the attention to detail we saw from this team, the focus to you know preserve what was actually their first shutout in the Dan Quinn era. So to see him you know, down on the sideline at the end there, Headset off, ball cap backwards is always the course, and enjoying this one. He's had a ton of landmark performances since he's taken over as defensive coordinator, but to have that first shutout against anybody is special to do it. In a divisional game, we've already been so dominant, of course, of Dak Prescott, and now, you know, defense is a whole other element that opposing teams, and especially in the division, have to prepare for. This sent a message to the entire league. I mean, the Cowboys are right up there now with, I would say, the 49ers, the Rams, and we'll see what's in store tonight between the Jets and Bills for best performances of week one. And you can't forget about the Lions on the opening Thursday night, but 40 or nothing is quite the statement. And like I said, just so much to get into for, you know, attention to detail of this team and room for them to grow and where they go from here and how the schedule kind of opens up in terms of how you start to look at these matchups, knowing that this defense right out of the gate is already playing at such a dominant level. And that's what it reminded me of when they showed the uh, Cowboys-Giants rivalry through the years, and they showed the week one 1995 Monday night game. They beat them 35 to nothing. That's what it reminded me of was – you just felt like Dallas was in another class than the Giants. You just didn't, I mean, they're in the NFC East, but you just don't even feel like they're really on the same level at this point. And I know it's September, but they just, they absolutely looked like two different teams in two different stratas. Yeah, I obviously watched a lot of college football on the day before this game on Saturday. None outcome-wise bigger than, of course, the hometown Longhorns here getting a win over Alabama, so that was huge to see. But, I mean, this looked like you know one of those lopsided college games where just like you see the physical differences and you see the offensive line being overpowered 
of the Giants, of course, that is by this, you know, great Cowboys front seven. You see, you know, mistakes from one quarterback and imprecision from Dak Prescott, who, of course, didn't even play his best game and didn't even play, you know, a game that's going to go in his top, you know, probably 10 for his entire career. But he was efficient and he's still getting used to the Mike McCarthy offense. But with all that in mind, of course, they built the lead before he even really had to do anything and never looked back in a game that sends a statement and really shows that, you know, they can be the class of this division, even with Philadelphia, of course, also going to one and zero, but having to really earn that and play through a lot of their mistakes in a win that they got in New England. Certainly didn't look as crisp and make as much of a statement as the way Dallas just did here on Sunday night. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious that the special teams unit, so John Fossil, he gets the first points of 2023. Yeah, that really covers, you know, a topic that we've only kind of hinted at and brought up when we need it as far as, you know, slow points in the offseason. And, of course, no more slow points now. I mean, how great is it to be your first Monday show here on the first victory poll on Monday for Cowboys Nation? I mean, it's just great to uh, be a small part of the Monday that you know Cowboys fans are going to have at the office or wherever you may be listening or wherever you are out there in Cowboys Nation. We, we just know you're having a great Monday and, you know, to be a part of it. Is a whole lot of fun all season long starting this way, but it hits on, you know, what we talk about with player development and player acquisition and just trying to give these coaches and the scouts credit. I mean, every rock being unturned as far as a guy you just traded for because you felt like you were good at slot corner and not so great as far as death on the outside. Deron Bland was the reason you felt good about what you have in the slot. He comes up for pick six, you know, just moments after the block field goal for a touchdown. But then the guy you trade for, the corner on the outside there, Noah gets the block, or didn't come up with the block. It was Junior Thomas, but gets the return for a touchdown. Speaking of Junior Thomas, you know, he's a guy who was kind of unheard of last year and then immediately jumps into not only a big special teams role because of what Fossil can do with him, but what Dan Quinn was able to do, getting him from serious run on defense too. So, yeah, the player acquisition, the way coaches, you know, vouch for their guys in this program to get better and to develop and find multiple roles, roles for them so that they fill out the depth chart nicely. It's all coming to a head this year in Dallas, and it really was a joy to watch to start the year 1-0. Let me ask you this. How long do you figure that the defense will have to carry the offense? Well, certainly a game like this, you know, I think at least personally changes your outlook on these next couple of weeks. You know, we haven't seen the Jets and Bills yet at this point. They played tonight, but based on how that game plays out, you know, it still changes your, your outlook on what you're going to see at home and your home opener for that game and then at the Cardinals who did put up a good fight on the road against the commanders and, you know, Jonathan Ginn and defense is probably the best thing they have going for him. But obviously that's felt like a winnable game all off season and nothing about tonight swings that in any direction away from that. And in the Patriots game where, you know, another game you think the defense can control. So I think you're looking at that 49ers game as, you know, a playoff rematch. And I already mentioned off the top, the 49ers probably, making one of the biggest statements right next to Dallas in week one with what they did on the road to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, of course, being a trendy, you know, playoff pick in the AFC. A little bit tough to find a spot for with how top-heavy that conference is, but still all the talent is there for that Steelers team to put together a much better performance than they could 
at home on Sunday, but that says more about the 49ers and the way they really took the game in Pittsburgh. And, of course, Brock Purdy, who if he's going to be able able to put up points in, in that specific matchup against the Cowboys, they'll need to put up points on the road in another primetime game as well. So, yeah, I think these next couple of weeks, you know, for your four weeks is the same window we would have been talking about. Kellen Moore's offense kind of needing to evolve and start taking those next steps that we ended up questioning by the end of the year. And we've already hit on during the offseason, you know, trading the sore thing that was Kellen Moore's offense is getting off to a hot start, which they, of course, did with the Chargers, not getting the win against the Dolphins, but putting up points. So we've heard that story before. But you traded the sore thing of a hot start for what you're hoping is the longevity in Mike McCarthy's system. And certainly the fact that they score 40 points is still left plays out there shows that they're building towards that longevity. And for these next couple of weeks, though, it should still fall, mostly on the defense that's more than ready to uh, to carry this team, getting their first shutout under Quinn, getting the free takeaways, which immediately puts them at the top of the league as they try to lead the league uh, for the third year in a row, you know, doing so the last two years and now already off to being tied at the top of the league after one week. I think with the um, the offense being behind the defense. I don't know if that was necessarily the case on Sunday night because it seemed like the Cowboys tight ends, Jake Ferguson and Peyton and Hendershot, they had some passes just kind of hit them in the hands and they just didn't bring them in. I felt like some of the plays were there, but they weren't exactly executed. I didn't feel like there was a deficit in creativity for play calls. And if there was anything like that, I mean, come on, you you, you have to hold something back amid this blowout because they, I mean, just throughout the game, like once it got to 16, nothing, you start, you started to be able to tell that the Cowboys were just going to squelch the Giants all night. So I think some of the offense's lack of production, so to speak, was related to just not wanting to give a, you know, a whole bunch of film for nothing in a blowout. And I'm glad you said, you know, off the top there, hey, this is September, you know, we should contextualize it a bit as far as if you're going to say that, and I've echoed it too in terms of talking about a contending team, you have to almost look at these first couple of regular season weeks as an extension of the preseason. But, you know, certainly it doesn't mean you could just fall behind in your division and, you know, not put out, you know, win the games you're supposed to win and then some. And this was clearly a game that the Cowboys were supposed to win, but you were expecting maybe back and forth for one score like both games were against the Giants last year. Let's not forget, this is a playoff team, the Giants. So I know... You know, the laser focuses on Dallas and Philly, and Philly gets the national attention because they went to the Super Bowl, and oh, what's Dallas going to do about it? And and all of that, the Giants are forgotten about just a little bit. And, you know, they'll probably, Brian Dable and company will probably tell you they prefer it that way, and, you know, they want to be the underdog. But they, ha- they held that role last year, and it worked for them, and they were a playoff team. So keep that in mind for what Dallas just did on the road there to start their season and, you know, plan your, your hype accordingly. Offensively, Creative-wise, I think the one nitpick thing I would say is, you know, I'd like to see more ways creatively to get the ball to CDIM. You know, I think you called that timeout before the end of the first half to try to 
put one more two minute drive together and you know really put this game out of reach and instead on first down you took a big shot to Michael Gallup who was pretty well covered he he did come down with the ball but it was out of bounds but instead of throwing a you know contestant 50-50 ball to Gallup which ended up not getting anything going and then he just kind of ran out to the clock from there can you find more ways to get your wide receiver one open and you know do, do some more creative things of CDLM, but they certainly made up for it with the way they used Kevante Turpin out of the backfield, the way that Brandon Cooks got wide open looks. Not much to complain about. Although I might owe you one of those fine Daniel Webster cigars down the line, because one of the things you like to do here on Hidden Yardage is you know predict things that are going to happen down the road, and you stuck your neck out a bit and said that at some point, rookie tight end Luke Sumaker is going to be tight end one this year, and I called you crazy a little bit and didn't think that that was going to happen. We're not going to panic on what Henderson and Ferguson did and, you know, in a game in the rain that was out of reach anyway, but yeah, I'm right there with you as far as the drops. And that was something concerning that could have helped move this offense along and given us a slightly better taste in the mouth on what would we take away from the offensive side of the ball this game. But yeah, maybe there is a window for Sumaker to be tight end one and another one of your takes to, uh, you know, manifest itself way out from the all season until when we talk about him, coming into his own. When I heard on the broadcast where, when Chris Collinsworth relayed that Dak Prescott was just so in love with Jake Ferguson and that he was going to have a big year this year, I was thinking, oh, dang it, I'm going to have to find a Daniel Webster cigar <laughs> by the end of the season. I just know it. Or just trade him back and forth at this point and uh, you know, whoever gets more cigars wins. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but, but that, that's what I thought when I watched the offense, but as far as the defense, um, yeah, they just, they look like the Showtime Lakers again. I mean, it's like they've picked up right where they left off in January. And that's, what's fascinating about this defense is when they get around, um, Average to below average offenses, we'll call it. Man, they go to town. They just, they don't play. They really get to work. And you saw on a snap-by-snap basis, I mean, this defense just upholding their own standard. You know, regardless of if the Giants were checked out or how hard they were playing or the way the offense kept putting up points to continue to blow out and put distance, you know, in this game and, you know, you could even say it was over after the block field goal, but of course that's a little bit of a stretch. You know, in retrospect it was, but you know, defense still had to, of course, keep their focus even more so after that. But even when it was decidedly over, which is probably you know even before halftime, which is remarkable, when it was twenty-six to nothing by the time that came around, you saw them absolutely upholding their own standard. I mean, something Mike McCarthy and Dan Quinn talks about all the time is you know putting on tape what they could be proud of, regardless of what the opponent is doing or who the opponent even is. So you saw that all throughout this defensive line, taking advantage of their matchups, of course, to get to Daniel Jones. You saw it even more so in the secondary, going after the ball, after the catch, or making plays on the ball. I mean, this is a defense that holds everybody accountable, knows exactly what the standard is, what they can uphold as far as being a championship-level defense, and you know nothing better than pitching a shutout that's so much of a blowout type game that your defensive coordinator doesn't even have to call the last drive. He could just be standing around knowing his guys have his back to earn him a well-deserved uh, shutout here in Dallas. So, yeah, this defense, like, you know, can't say enough about them as far as 
again, that's standard. They'll have all play the effort, attention to detail to just plug every gap, not give up any extra yards, and you're going to need that, you know, in these next couple of weeks against guys like Aaron Rodgers, Mac Jones, um, whoever the Cardinals throw at you, of course, whether it's going to be Kyler Murray, Clayton Toon, Josh Dobbs. You have some kind of dual threat, mobile quarterbacks, almost just like Jones, who you just saw and play and fared fine against that are going to give you some different challenges that way. And as long as they stay, you know, as laser focused as they did in this game, certainly don't think any Cowboys fans will be expecting anything sort of more wins against those same opponents until you get right to that 49ers game. I hope it's actually Josh Dobbs looking ahead to the Cardinals as their starter, just because I want to see, you know, some unhinged columnists say that Josh Dobbs is better than Dak Prescott. That that's always fun. That would be that. so much fun. Yeah. So, um, let me ask you. He put Sean. up a fight against the Commanders. So, I mean, I, I don't know if that shows that the division is just going to be really good again, or you know what that says about Washington going into this year. But they did win, so the Cowboys had to keep pace there with not only Philly but Washington too, and did so with the most emphatic win in Week One. Yeah, and going back to last week, um. The Giants, you figure their fans are really reeling because they're zero and one in the division, and all the all the other teams won. You're the only team in the NFC that didn't win. That's got to feel bad. But uh, let me ask you this: the secret sauce with the defense? Do you think it's the def- the interior defensive line? Because yeah, I mean Michael Parsons got a sack and. It was a sack fest with seven sacks of Daniel Jones, but check it out. O.C. Odigijua, he had two sacks. Dorrance Armstrong had two sacks. Chauncey Golston had a sack. Demarcus Lawrence had a sack. These are your big uglies who were really getting after Jones. It wasn't so much your speed guys like Parsons, I mean, this was the interior, and they were getting after Daniel Jones. Yeah, there's not exactly one, you know, arching thing you can say about Dan Quinn's defense, which is, of course, great because that's exactly, you know, what you want when opposing offenses are preparing for you and they can't, you know, pin their hat on any one thing that you're going to be doing. But, you know, you remember the Marinelli years, it was, you know, what, what's, what are the staples? So we're going to pass us and, you know, play, a lot, commit a lot of guys to coverage, but still be able to get to the quarterback because of us. And, you know, every defense is like a core, you know what their kind of, their MO and what they're lining up to do is. And Quinn just throws all that to the window and says, you know, we could do it all. And I didn't quite see this snap, but Patrick Walker, who was covering the game for DallasCowboys.com tweeted that, you know, he picked up on a snap where Parsons just even lined up on the interior as like a zero tech, and they had Leighton Vander coming off the edge. Again, I didn't quite see that. I'm sure I'll go back and take a look at it, but, you know, stuff like that just shows that Quinn, not afraid to do just about anything to confuse an opposing offense. It certainly had the Giants, you know, in a blunder this game. So I do think that interior pass rush is benefiting from, if you had to pick one thing that overarches all of the looks that Quinn throws at you, it's to create havoc in the middle of the field. That is the big key to watching this defense. It was the thing that ended Tom Brady's career when he threw the iPad in that wild card game, playing for the Bucks, saying, you know, I just don't understand what they're doing. I don't know what we need to do because there's so much confusion in the middle of the field, trying to get the ball to those big Tampa Bay receivers like Mike Evans. So 
when you have all of that, starting with whoever lines up in the A-gap, but sometimes it's Parsons and sometimes it's Armstrong and then it's Van Der Es and then it's a linebacker and then it's Coase and then it's Junior Thomas and the list goes on. The guys who benefit the most, I think, you know, you saw it in this game and this can continue to go on, are those defensive tackles because you have the offensive line preoccupied before the snap as far as pointing out what might be happening, you know, beyond those tackles and on the second and third levels and then before they know it, oh, they got their hands full with, you know, someone that might catch them off guard as far as just how good of a pass roster a guy like Oso Digizua can be or a Taunty Golston, who I was really happy to see, you know, even make some plays off the edge can be. So we'll see how Mozzie Smith develops as a pass roster. Of course, that's not the first thing he is here to do, but I still think guys like him and Jonathan Hankins are able to get some push and get into the backfield to, you know, deter the Giants from trying to run Saquon Barkley, which of course didn't become a factor once the score got out of hand, but still tough day at the office, no matter how you put it for Barkley and the interior had a lot to say about that, but their best plays were of course in pass us with the guys you pointed out there. And I think they're just benefiting from the multitude of looks that the Cowboys are going to use on the second level. Yeah, and also you saw the pass rush. It, 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 they they seemed a little more intellectual in the way that they attacked. Like they were going to a spot where they anticipated Daniel Jones would be, not necessarily getting pushed around, you know, directed out of the action. Like they went to a spot where they anticipated he would step up as opposed to just chasing him around. Yeah, Daniel Jones is a quarterback that can hurt you with his legs a little bit. He did have 43 rushing yards in this game, but his longest is only 11 yards, so he's capable of ripping off much bigger runs. You know, his highlight against the Eagles last year, getting caught by the turf monster, which should have been, I think, a 60-plus yard touchdown, ended as, you know, a 50-something yard run, and he fell down on his own inside the 20s, so... Yeah, they knew that was part of the game plan to keep him in the pocket, make him, you know, throw contested passes against the secondary that you have so much trust in, thanks to Diggs and Gilmore, but not just those two, even though Gilmore, you know, probably had one of the highlights of the night with somehow catching an interception off of the, you know, wet ball, wet turf, and he kept it from getting down to the turf and corralled that interception there of Jones almost being out of bounds when he threw it. But you also have, of course, Teron Bland on the inside, so... The game plan was to force Jones to make throws all night against those guys from the pocket, which is never something he's consistently shown that he can do. And of course, he didn't really show it in this game because, you know, the weather conditions and the avalanche had passed us and the way the score was out of hand, taking the run game out of it. A lot of factors for why this is a bad night for Daniel Jones, but it doesn't take anything away from the way that the Dallas defense was just so very prepared to make this big statement 40 to nothing on the road in week one. Yeah, look at this, 15 of 28 for 104 yards and two interceptions. I mean, that reads like a preseason stat line. And 3.7 yards per attempt, sack seven times. I mean, that's just an offense that's going backwards like that. That just, you box score scout that and then ask someone to draw a picture to you know, what the defense is doing to the offense based on those numbers, and it's going to be the defense pushing the offense backwards all day, and that's exactly what the Cowboys did. I mean, they just owned all on the scrimmage, pushed everything back, kept contained on Jones, and contested throws, 50-50 balls, or more like 70-30 balls to the Dallas secondary to take it away, and textbook all across all three levels from this defense. 
who were some of your surprise guys um, coming out of this game? I think it's Tuma Adoga, left guard for the Cowboys, and the last pregame piece that I put out at bloggingtheboys.com this week to get ready for the game was about, in anticipation of hopefully Tyler Smith playing, it was about the Cowboys off its line, getting back to what they've done best over the years, not just, you know, last year or so far this season, but over the years, their best trait has been, you know, getting out in space and playing in space. And you see these guys, you know, going and digging out linebackers and pulling and doing all that. And I really thought that's where you were going to need that advantage in this Giants matchup where it can be tough sliding, running on the interior, especially without Ezekiel Elliott now, you know, how would I get a fair running on the interior anyway, but then you're doing so against, Dexter Lawrence and um, just, you know, really stout New York front. So can you get out in space, make the most of this matchup by having Tyron Smith back in the lineup and everything, um, you know, that you could take advantage of offensive line-wise. And Adoga might be a step back on the depth chart that way, but he didn't play like it. I mean, obviously this team is welcome to have Tyler Smith back and the versatility and the depth they're going to need already being called on. So when you have him... You know, it changes everything that way. But, yeah, Doga was pulling just as well and got out in space too and really held his own off guard and, you know, even went down injured briefly. And I think it was just getting those pellets or something caught in his eyes. Might have been the case there. But either way, came back in the game and overall really played well. And, you know, we've seen one off at line spot be enough to wreck a game for Dak Prescott and his confidence in the pocket before. And there was a chance that that could have happened in this game just when you saw the inactive list and that Tyler Smith wasn't going to go, but hard way to case at all is Adoga really did more than held his own. He didn't force you to change the script at all. He just gelled in perfectly with this offensive line, doing what they did best and doing something that I highlighted over on the site that they were going to need to do. And that's get out in space and create those advantages against the Giants secondary and the linebackers that are pretty inexperienced. He did just that right next to Tyron Smith, their left tackle. And that's what's been impressive about the Cowboys offensive line, whether it's Joe Philbin or now Mike Solari, is how they've been able to keep that cohesion and absorb a substitution, you know, as opposed to just really getting everything jumbled up and in a tizzy and not being able to help or protect your you know, guys that have to sub in like that. I mean, how great was it to see just Tony Pollard walking into the end zone thanks to Zach Martin, you know, kind of pulling from right guard and setting the edge. I mean, that's one of the easiest touchdowns you ever see. It's Hall of Fame right guard running back that knows exactly how to get north and south and has a speed where no one's going to touch him. And from a couple of yards out, I mean, that was just junior league football cakewalk stuff from Tony Pollard. And that wasn't even the only example of, like I said, this offense a lot and doing what they do best to get out in space. There were plenty of other plays and I'm going to highlight some of them on the site for us in my post game notes for this offense a lot doing just that and Adoga fitting into the mix there. And that's certainly what Tyler Smith does best too. I mean, I know we didn't get to see him LF guard too much last year, but if you can refresh your memory and remember some of those plays, he's an absolute you know, road grader, LF guard getting out there and heat seeking missile for, you know, linebackers to don't want to mess with him in open space. So the idea that this run game can get a whole lot better, which they certainly can. And what does that mean for opening up even more of this passing game that was kind of subdued for Dak Prescott because it was a blowout win? 
you know, the offense was almost an, playing an extension of a preseason game thanks to the way the defense took over this. But you're going to need games like that as you learn this offense anyway. And, you know, we'll have a lot more to say about the offense after what they do against the Jets and after we, of course, see if the Jets offense is going to be high-flying or not in these first couple of weeks of Aaron Rodgers. Are you going to need to go win a shootout type of game where you ask more from the offense in that game? But so far, so good for the offensive line. If you have that and you have Dak Prescott playing with all the confidence in the world, you could have a chance in every single game you play right now. For me, a surprise player on offense was actually Cavante Turpin because I didn't expect him to be that involved on offense. I thought that they, you know, would just give him all a couple of opportunities and that'd be the end of it. But no, I mean, look at it. He had three targets and three carries. And, you know, he produced two catches for 11 yards and then um, 14 yards on the ground and a touchdown. So I was actually surprised to see that they involved him as opposed to just giving lip service. Yeah, it's something really interesting as well with Turpin is, you know, to keep an eye on going forward is, is he ahead of Deuce Vaughn on the running back depth chart? I mean, he was back there taking a handoff for a touchdown. So, you know, maybe his b- bigger use is, you know, at receiver and something someone you can throw the ball to. But and yet again, that's something you can do with Deuce Vaughn as well. So that's definitely something to keep a close eye on as far as I know we're all excited about Deuce Vaughn and the hype only built up through training camp and his preseason touchdown, all that. But it's Cavante Turpin firmly in that role that Deuce Vaughn can, you know, grow into at a later point was a legitimate time for, you know, both of them to kind of separate and Turpin takes more of a receiver role, which opens up running opportunities for Deuce Vaughn. But at the same time, then, you know, you're butting your head against Tony Pollard, you know, looked fine as the lead back, passing test one of one, and then Rico Dowdle running physically between the tackles. So that might be enough to sideline Deuce Vaughn without Cavante Turpin, but to see Turpin cut into a role that we thought was going to be firmly Deuce Vaughn is something that we need to, uh, you know, monitor for these next couple of weeks. Who's your surprise guy on defense, though? I think it's Junior Thomas. I mean, shout out to... Uh, you know, some of our other BTBers and, uh, you know, guys who have been calling for him to be a roster lock before I even really had my eye on him. It's particularly um, Danny out there. But, yeah, this is a guy that really helped the defense play multiple in this matchup against the Giants. You know, Darren Waller, you knew, was going to be the guy you had to take away at tight end to force Daniel Jones to throw elsewhere. And so instead of Jaron Coast being that kind of just walk around the box and force or Romer, whatever you want to call it, type player, Coast was more just laser-focused, manned up on Darren Waller, and then you you still needed someone to play that walk-around spot, and Junior Thomas stepped in very well and, you know, came down and defended the run, blocked the field goal, of course, defended the run, though, on defense, still covered in the secondary. So you talk about, you know, how would you like to be an offensive coordinator preparing for this Dallas defense? It's like you got to spend the first half of your week just looking at past us and what's our plan for not getting our quarterback killed because Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence and Armstrong and all these guys are coming after it. And if you finally, you know, get to pick your head up from thinking you have a protection plan that gives you some kind of chance to not just lose the game up front immediately, 
it's like, oh, by the way, this guy Junior Thomas, you know, can make some plays. And uh, how about Marquise Bell, who's a UDFA, who, you know, has only been playing linebacker for a couple of weeks and looked like a seasoned veteran out there making big hits and being in the right spot all the time. So defensively, it's just so many unknown guys that they feel comfortable in that are really going to help them. And, you know, there looks to be multiple and they're scouting and the ability to take offenses by surprise. For me, it was Marquise Bell because, you know, he only played five games last year. He's his second year and he was undrafted free agent. I just didn't expect him to have as much impact and lead the team in tackles the way that he did. And it was just all over the place. So for me, it was Marquise Bell because I, I just, I didn't expect him to rise to the occasion with Donovan Wilson out the way that he did. Yeah. It's another name. You know, we even forgot about, like I just said, you know, you have to prepare for this defense and, you know, at some point you have to prepare for Donovan Wilson and Jordan Oris as well. So the rich get richer as far as Dan Quinn's defense, adding guys to already starting the season, you know, not only the best performance of the year, and one that should hold up even after they play a couple more games, but probably the best performance over Quinn's three seasons here. And that's certainly saying something, given that he wasn't even a full strength and had a count, had a count on guys that almost hand-picked and hand-developed. And that player development element is so key when it comes to, you know, this team building confidence and knowing that they have everything right in front of them and right in that locker room. They don't have to, you know, look to outside help or, understand that they're still working in, you know, free agents that are new with draft picks that have been here. It's a team that really believes they've had everything they need for a while now. And they were just, clearly they were very eager to show it on Sunday Night Football. And the poor Giants in front of their home crowd in the rain had to, uh, you know, be the beneficiary of seeing what the Cowboys are out here to prove this year with a group of guys who are just so hungry to get deeper into playoffs and use this regular season as a springboard to show that they're going to knock everything down in their way. You know, the Eagles test would be another one to, uh, you know, really see where they're at, but we want to know right on par with both the Eagles and Washington is exactly where we wanted this team to be. Yeah, indeed. So would you bet your life still on Brandon Aubrey? <laughs> yeah, I don't know where this still part came from. I don't know if I ever, you know, when did I say I would ever be doing that? But, well, no, you know, no, t- it's the Groucho Marx thing, so – I mean, just anybody, I, I would say that to them is, would you bet your life on Brandon Aubrey? Well, the mistext point, of course, was, you know, almost comedic just because it's like, you know, fresh in our minds. The last time we saw this team was the two playoff games where extra points were an issue. So that's the one thing we need to see you can consistently do. But, you know, he bounced back from that and then he did make the two field goals. So. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm still in a wait-and-see phase of Farbury. You know, the thing with kickers is you don't really care about them until they cost you a game. And this game was clear from the start. It wasn't going to come down to one kick or anything like that. But you do have games in the very near future that certainly could. This is the NFL. You're never, you know, as great as your big win, say, or as bad as any of your losses. So, 4 or nothing officially, you know, as of... Oh, I I just enjoy, you know, the rest of Monday. I'm not going to coach speak this too much and say, you know, 7 a.m. Monday, we want to know it doesn't mean anything or the score doesn't mean anything. It's all just want to know. Go ahead and enjoy this one for the rest of Monday. But let's say come Tuesday, you know, the score, this one doesn't mean as much. And you do have to start evaluating, you know, where your room for improvement is. And 
you hit on the biggest one that I think fans will remember, which is these tight ends getting more involved. And then a couple of nitpicky things from there. But yeah, kicker is a spot you can continue to look at. But for now, I'm at least at a point where I would be comfortable seeing more from Brandon Aubrey. And that sort of feels like where the team is at as well. Yeah, um, I would see what Mason Crosby is up to. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and get to the Cowboys' birthdays real quick. Um, on Wednesday, Brandon, I mean Brad Johnson turns 55. He was backup quarterback for Dallas from 07 to 08. On Friday, Vintel Bryant, yeah, he caught that touchdown pass on Thanksgiving uh, in 2019 against the Bills. He turns 27 years old. And then on Saturday, Jeff Swaim turns 30 Swaim years train. old. Yeah, 2015 to 2018, he was with Dallas. And those are your Cowboys' birthdays. Do Real they have the thing. next was... Jeff Swaim on the roster? Uh, Yeah, Jake Ferguson. Yeah. Who's going to have a big year? He just feels like, you know, Swaim just feels like a guy you could pair to like any generic tight end in the league. So, you know, why not Ferguson? In this case, but yeah, if Collinsworth is on him, then maybe there's something there. Hey, real quick, just a shout out to, uh, of course, the first and 10 guys, um, Aiden Davis, Tony Catalina. Tony was in attendance back in my home state of New Jersey, of course, in the rain, trooping it out for us to watch this game. Certainly more enjoyable for the Dallas fans that made the trip like Tony than the hometown Giants fans. So safe travels to Tony uh, getting back from this game in the rain there. And that's why we get the... Uh, Opportunity to lead off the first Monday afternoon, Monday morning, post-NFL Sunday here, week one for Blogging the Boys. So looking forward to being here all season. But yeah, first and ten is coming, and uh, we'll be back in our normal spot. But nonetheless, we have a whole season to uh, look forward to, and what a great way to start. Who would you give the triangle of victory to tonight? I mean, for Sunday night's game. Who gets it? I, I would give it... To, um, I would give it to Marquise Bell. Is that a hidden Dayton yard Dayton triangles reference? By the way, I'm going to give of it to Dan Quinn. You you didn't say I can't give it. It has to be a player, so you know there's no rules when the Dayton triangles come up. So Dan Quinn, like I said, first start out with the team. That sort of means a lot, and it means even more that they played like that is something that matters. You know, once the defense has a big lead. It would have been easy to back off, let them throw, you know, short passes. They get a walk-in touchdown at some point. Didn't happen. They kept the intensity, got the shutout. out. That's all on Quinn, and he gets the triangle for week one. All right. You've been listening to the Hidden Yardage podcast. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. So there it is. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux. So how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. So if it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data. 
which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA.